head over to Eddie and the Star Cruisers on Facebook. We're a collective of independent creators with the perfect gifts for the holidays. We have movies, music, comics, art, podcasts, wrestling, and crafts. This holiday season, head to Eddie and the Star Cruisers on Facebook, where the perfect gift can be found for just about anybody. Christmas. Moose gives you the right to remain dead with Psycho Cop himself, Robert Schaefer. Happy holidays, horror hounds, and welcome to another installment of Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. My gift to you today is the gift of reform. From a serial killer to a career in refrigeration, I give to you Mr. Robert R. Schaefer. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. The classes in prison work. <laughs> I'm glad it works somewhere. <laughs> right. Now they just let them, now you just get let out. You get out and it's Oh, oh, hope it works. Go ahead. Come on. Yeah, also. So, how, how you doing? How's life treating you? Very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing good. I am just celebrated the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. Gearing up for season two. That's so, a big F you to all the doubters. It really is. And it, it's a nice feather in my own cap, because even like when I started out, I wasn't sure that... Like, it was something I wanted to do, but I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it long term. And sure. here we are. I mean, I'm still doing it. I'm still improving. And well, it's a skill. I mean, it's a true skill. Uh, believe me. I've, <laughs> you know, I have my own rating systems. I'll grade you after this is over, son. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. From my high and lofty position. So. What got you into uh, acting when you, like, did you want to be an actor as a kid or is it just something that came as when you were older? Oh, hell no. No, I had no desire. I, I had no knowledge of it, no understanding of it. I knew nothing about it. I, you know, could have cared less. Uh, and a woman, a woman got me involved, uh, a famous actress, as a matter of fact, Susan Day from the Partridge family. Uh, we fell in love and I started to go watch her work on sets and, you know, started to be in that lifestyle. And uh, I was encouraged to go to the best acting teacher in Los Angeles. And, you know, I blame her and I thank her. So uh, <laughs> it was fate more than anything else. And and once I got started, I was an ambitious guy, you know, and I nobody could ever make me quit. So that was uh, something I had going for me. And then you get Psycho Cop, which, and 
I, I say this with the utmost respect because I love cringe horror, but it is like the epitome of cringe horror. I mean, it's a just very campy, you know, yeah, it has the one-liners and just the really cheesy horror, but it really has, it, it's become this like cult classic and has its cult following and it, it picks up a new audience every generation, it seems. Well, the one thing the first one has going for it in spades is it's atmospheric. I mean, it, it we shot the shooter, uh, really shot the heck out of that, that film. I mean, there's some beautiful visuals in it and there's some, you know, silly stuff happening. <laughs> Where's my hairbrush and whatnot. Yeah. But, uh, the, the villain is, um, the villain is still funny and, and compelling and, and pulls off some pretty good kills. Um, and the kills are varied. Uh, you know, the one thing about that movie for me uh, is that the director, uh, Wallace Potts, was a very stuffy Southern gentleman. And, you know, there's no nudity in the film. So he he wanted me to do uh, voiceover. I voiced over 80, 80% of that performance. And I went along with it. Now I would never go along with it, you know, but I was a, a young uh, actor listening to the director. And uh, he kept, we were in the booth, it was just me and him, and he would say, make it more robotic. And I was looking at a performance that was comedic, you know, I mean, when I watch it now, I remember how I originally said it, you know, I mean, I haven't seen it in, in, in years, but uh, that's, you know, my impression of it. It, it, uh, it, it. <laughs> You know, it's funny that it that it's uh, had the life that it's had. I mean, uh, uh, I had high hopes for that series because I signed a five-picture deal. So when I signed that deal, uh, the money had already been figured out. You know, it was just these ladder bumps. Of, you know, there was real money in it. And uh, I remember thinking, I'm the next Freddy Krueger. I've made it. You know, I mean, this was uh, – I went to the Cannes Film Festival uh, – my first year with it. And that was a big deal. You know, there was a life-size poster of psycho cop on the uh, Carlton terrace. Oh, wow. Where everybody went to drink, you know, I was going on the yachts and, you know, I, I was feeling, uh, feeling pretty good about it. And then, uh, the distributor, it was acquired by the same distributor that uh, was distributing maniac cop of all things. Mm. Uh, they, they sued each other, uh, over the artwork, the similarity. I mean, you know, that was the headline in variety maniac versus psycho cop and, uh, they buried it. So not that it would have, you know, gotten any kind of mainstream or big audience, but it would have done better than it did. It still shipped 25,000 units in those days, which was a big, a big oh, thing. Yeah. So it did well. The producer was going around saying, uh, Psycho Cop built my house. And Psycho Cop was going around saying, why didn't I get a house? So that's how <laughs> it works. It's funny. You mentioned that there was no nudity in it. Yeah, I just, I watched it again the other night. And yeah, it's, it, it doesn't really follow a lot of the like horror norms of the time. There wasn't nudity. There wasn't any drug use. Sure, there was beer drinking, but you know, it it's beer, so be it. You know, the kids have the kids have a real nineteen fifties feel. Yeah, you know, it's uh, 
it's really kind of out of time and place. I mean, you can't really say, you look at it, you go, where is this? You can't really figure out where they are. So that gives it sort of a timelessness. You know, I mean, the cars, everything, their costumes, everything is kind of nondescript. You can't really say what era it's in. I mean, I know everybody goes, oh, it's the 80s horror, but it's it actually has uh, roots that are, like I said, Wallace was from, you know, Alabama. <laughs> he was a Southern gentleman. He didn't even like to hear swearing, let alone let somebody swear. <laughs> and uh, so, it, you know, it had, like I said, it has this vast puritanical streak in it, you know, so... It was it was fun to make though. I, I had a blast making it. It was very challenging because it was cold. We were shooting out Malibu Canyon, which is you know uh, I guess on average like twelve degrees colder than the rest of uh, Cal- uh, you know L.A. and doing nights. So you, you earn you earn your pay when you do the, that kind of schedule. Well, and the other thing that sets it apart is it starts off with a kill. Normally, it builds up to you know, the first kill, I mean, the the movie starts off, you kill this honeymooning couple. It's yeah, they just right out of the gate. Well, for bad acting alone, that that's a bad acting kill right there. They, you know, they, they were acting, you know, overacting, so they have to go. Well, and they were just, and just from a character standpoint, it's just like, okay, you see a bike off in the middle of the thing. Just keep driving. Just... Just, it's the middle of Let's the night. Stop. Why do you stop and go yeah, investigate? <laughs> you know, well, I mean, you know, they, people in horror films do stupid things. It, it's the, the way the characters, well, the victims were written. You really do find yourself rooting for the killer. Because aside the, you know, the survivors were really well written. Like, you wanted them to make it out. But everybody that died, yeah. yeah, five minutes into the movie, I'm like, all right, when's the time? Let's go. They were insufferable. You know, I mean, nobody cares that they, you know, that they, that you got them. Um, it, there's a funny story about uh, the, the two that survived. We were shooting the last scene or that last sequence with Palmer Lee Todd, Laura, and, uh, and uh, Jeff Qualley, uh, who's uh, Doug. And it called for me to walk Laura, uh, pick her up and smash her into this tree. And so we were standing there and they had these apple boxes all, all lined up for her to walk on. So it looked like I was carrying her and then, you know, bang her into the tree. So she says, she looks at me before the take and she's being tough and says, I'm not scared of you. <laughs> and look, I look at her and I go, you will be. <laughs> so, let's just say that she found the tree with a little bit more emphasis than perhaps I had intended. <laughs> you know, you, you want to get their attention sometimes. <laughs> That's great. Looking back, I, I remember watching it as a kid. And it was... I, I, don't, I don't know why. It was really scary then. And then I watched it, like I said, recently, and I, I, I'm i watching, and it's just like, whoa, this is cringy. But, and like I said earlier, I like cringe horror, you know, and 
what I mean by that is the ones where you just put in and you're just watching for the kill. You're not watching for, you know, like the polished movie. You're just watching a movie for somebody to get killed. You're just watching for people to just, all right, let's rack a death count. You know, and it's, this is a perfect example of that style of movie where, you know, it's like, all right, let's, let's start racking kills. I mean, there's, the nightclub kill, which is phenomenal. Some of the one-liners that go before him, like, you know, you have the right right to remain silent before it, or, you know, the don't drink and drive. Just some of, I mean, yeah, they're cheesy, but they go really well with the kills, and they make the kills a little bit more memorable. But I and I was playing Dirty Harry in those instances. You know, I was, that's what I was going for was Dirty Harry, uh, or, or Eastwood. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the style of reading I gave that. Most of the time I'm thinking of, uh, you know, Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee and Vincent Price. And oh, I always uh, termed it as uh, malevolent glee. You know, the character, he loves his insanity. He loves being crazy, you know, psycho cop. I mean, so you have to enjoy the kill. I mean, that's what's missing in a lot of modern horror is the villain has no sense of humor. Uh, they're they're droll and they're just in in into it for the blood. I mean, you have to enjoy the you know the crazy aspect of it a little bit. I'm actually glad you said that because one of the things I really liked about the way you played him was your eyes, and it, <laughs> it's it's such a small thing, but well, no, it's, it's everything. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's small, but it's everything. It's if yeah. you can, because you would get these like really wide, bug-eyed, just like you said, that sadistic glee, and that really sold. It has you have to have an on and off switch for it. We have to see it turn on and off. That's the trick. Uh, when uh, Anthony Hopkins played the killer in Silence of the Lambs, his trick was not to blink. Now, he's only on screen, I think, for 17 and a half minutes of the movie, and, you know, he's got a statue for it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how good that performance was. Oh, yeah. So he doesn't blink. I go watch it now. I mean, he blinks a couple times, but you know how hard it is to do a scene and not blink. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, but, I mean, when you can sell it that hard, it makes us, the viewer, buy into the, you know, insaneness, the just how believable that villain really is. And, you know, I've said it on episodes before, but I think it's harder to portray a believable villain than it is a believable good guy. Because, I mean, anybody can be a hero, but to be the villain that people think are actually going to tear you up and come get you, that's a lot harder to uh, come across. Well, it, no, that just has a, you know, you're in a different mindset, a fiercer mindset, and certainly more draining than playing a good guy. <laughs> playing a good guy, you know, is easy because that's the mindset you're in all yeah. the time. You're not stressing. You know, you're not stressing about how you want to make people feel something. As a, you know, you're, you're trying to make them feel, actually feel something. So that requires a certain, you know, I wasn't pals with anybody on that movie, I mean, the, you know, I said hi to him, but I was there to kill him. 
I mean, so they, I wasn't hanging out with them. I was, you know, I wasn't. I, I would sit down and have lunch with them, but uh, I wasn't their buddy. I wasn't part of the the clique. You know, I was I was over here getting ready to come and eat your lunch. So, growing up, were you a horror fan of like the like the Universal and you know the Karloff, you know Karloff and Lugosi and them and. I watched the classics. I watched, you know, Midnight or Chiller Theater or whatever it was, you know, the Midnight Friday movies, you know, stay up till 2 or 4 a.m. and watch a couple of them. Um, I like The Invisible Man. And actually on Psycho Cop, the uh, daughter of Claude Rains was our producer. Jessica Rains was our producer. So there was this great connection for me to sit there and talk to Jessica Rains about Claude Rains one of the great actors of, you know, that generation, certainly uh, pedigree, <laughs> the invisible man. Oh, and a little thing called Casablanca. Yeah. When you talk about Casablanca. That's kind of the perfect movie. Uh, it, it, to my way of thinking, Casablanca is perfect. I mean, there's not a frame that I would change in it. No. You know, normally when I watch a movie, I'm watching it for technical stuff or how was this written or what was this actor doing or what was the makeup look like? You know, you can't help it. That's just part of the, uh, part of the DNA of doing that gig. Uh, but anyway, it was cool to have her on the, on the set for sure. I so, say, yeah, isn't it fun when you could sit down and if, even if you can't talk to the person that, you know, had such an impact on your life, talk to, a, a, the relative of that person. I mean, oh yeah. I just recently, yeah. I've recently interviewed uh, Sarah Karloff, Boris's daughter, and uh, Bela Lugosi's son about uh, those two. And those are pretty interesting. Uh, they're they're kids. Yeah. Did they ever write a book about about their experience with dad? Um, I think both families have a book coming out. Okay. Uh, here in the next year, I want to say. Sure. And it's, yeah, there's some fun stories. I mean, yeah. You know, just growing up around the set, growing up around, you know, horror icon. I mean, it's the, the, the stories that you just don't get. And you just kind of sit back and you're just wide-eyed and you're just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I know you're a fan of when you get that kind of insight, sure. Uh, I mean, when I did a commercial with uh, Geico with Kenny Rogers. Wow. And I love Kenny Rogers. And so to sit there with Kenny Rogers and what did we talk about? We talked about Kenny Rogers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't talk about Bobby Ray Schaefer. We talked about Kenny Rogers. You know, And that was just fantastic you know all i could think was i'm getting paid to talk with him with kenny rogers about kenny rogers oh most so, definitely yeah i mean you absolutely. have a chance to sit down with you know the gambler you talk talk the gambler well you know i mean uh for instance here's a little story when he did islands in the stream the duet with dolly parton you know huge seller i mean <laughs> yeah it's beautiful song uh that wasn't planned she just happened to walk into the studio and he said, Hey, do you want to sing on this record with me? And she said, sure. So there you go. There's <laughs> Island. Good decision to say yes to that. One of the biggest happy accidents. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good idea to get those two together. So 
which role do you think you get recognized more for now? Psycho Cop or Bob Vance, refrigeration uh, expert? Well, obviously Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration has a big, much wider reach than Psycho Cop. But I go to horror conventions for Psycho Cop. So <clears throat> two different uh, arenas of fans. You know, the, the thing about The Office uh, is that no show's ever had the trajectory that we had with that. I mean, yeah. bigger now that, that, that it, when it's off than when it was on the air uh, because of Netflix and, you know, binge watching. And the thing that startled me, and I learned I went to Scranton to throw out a pitch at the Rail Riders baseball game. Rail Riders are the AAA team for the New York Yankees. Beautiful ballpark. I'm sitting there signing autographs for six innings, and it's nothing but kids, 11, 12, 13 years old. And I'm like, where did these fans come from? Because when we were on the air, it was all 30, 40-year-old something with household incomes of $100,000 plus. That's why NBC loved them, because they would buy all this stuff. Oh, yeah. And now all these kids, you know, they're like 11, 12 years old. I'm like, I thought this show was, was about sex. <laughs> <laughs> but all these kids, you know, walked in. I've been watching it 10 times. And you're like, well, hell, get a life, son. Get outside. Play, <laughs> play some baseball. Do something besides watch TV. But, uh, you know, it's, it's weird. Uh, it's weird to go through that. How different is it filming for a TV show than it was a movie? Well, uh, it depends on what you're doing in the movie, right? If you're psycho cop and you're setting the tone, then, you know, it's all you're you feel like it's on you. Right. People are there to follow your lead. Like there was a famous incident a few years ago when Christian Bale had a fit. He threw a fit on this guy who was, uh, I think he was walking around, <laughs> you know, in Christian's line of sight when he was shooting and he chewed this guy a new asshole. And it went on for, you know, five or 10 minutes. And everybody's like, oh, listen how insensitive he is. And no, 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 no. That wasn't for that guy. I mean, sure, he was pissed at the guy. You're not supposed to walk around back there when I'm when I'm working. But it was for everybody else. You know, it was for the other 150 people there. That was performance art. And he's telling them all, I'm serious. I want you to be serious. When I'm shooting, everybody's watching. Stop what you're doing and pay attention. So that's all he was doing. And, you know, I was completely, and sometimes you got to, sometimes you got to, you know, pull your rank. And so that's different than just being a supporting player, you know, where you just come in and react to somebody else and you're not carrying the load, you know. I mean, when you're carrying the load, you can exert your will <laughs> a lot more than you can when you're just, a, you know, a supporting player. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, either one's fine with me. I mean, uh, as long as the check clears, I, what's that? <laughs> as long as the check clears. Well, it's the other thing of it. It's very humbling to be, you know, a small part of a big show. Oh yeah. I mean, you want, you want the ball. You know, when I was playing basketball, I didn't want to sit on the end of the bench. There were teams that I, that's where I was. I lived down there. The coach didn't even know my name. I don't think, but then there were other teams where, you know, I was out there jacking it up 25 times a game. That's what I want to do. So same thing in acting, you know, I mean, let's be real. When people get the script, they look through it and they go, how many lines do I have in here? Right. Especially on a 22 minute show. So uh, there was plenty of competition inside the show, but it still was able to maintain the camaraderie, which is crucial, you know, 
to people having fun and that translate to what happens on the screen. Can't put fun on the screen unless you're actually having it. So, you know, it's when they pretend to have fun that it, that it sucks. Well, I mean, especially in a show like the office with such an ensemble cast where, you know, yeah, you have but... all those cutaways with, you know, every, you know, trying to give everybody enough screen time. I would imagine it was hell for the writers trying to make sure everybody got you know what they what they felt needed yeah no they were all motivated by different <laughs> you know concerns for sure so uh i think the weird thing is for an actors and, and this is you know coming from someone who's written things that he's worked with other people so i know the feeling of being the writer, but working with writers who wrote the episode that you're in, it's, it's different. You know, it's weird. Um, I'm not sure how objective they can be about what they're really doing there. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I always like to work with a, a director who's directing. He's not also acting. I don't really want like that co-role so much. You know, I, I like you just to be over there to stay over there and, and watch what I'm doing. <laughs> stay over there. Tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. You focus on your job. I'll do mine. We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why. <laughs> so do you have any upcoming uh, gigs this uh, coming out soon? Or, Well, I, I'm always available to the fans on Cameo.com. So find me on there. I'll do your wedding. I'll, you know, I broke up with somebody on there. I do birthday. <laughs> You know, wait, wait, wait a minute. Anniversary. Somebody paid you to break up with their significant with, with their. Uh... Well, yeah, they did. yeah, no, that was awkward. That's I'm not going <laughs> to sugarcoat it. It was. <laughs> you no, know, I, I felt you know. Well, today I have one where I'm trying to convince a guy to go, for, uh, convince a woman to go back with the guy. So, I, I have you know that talk about pulling one out of your cheeks. There, I'm not. <laughs> really sure what I'm going to tell her to do at all. Cause this guy could be a, a stalker, a total loser. Who knows? Oh, that's... I mean, I'm pleading on his behalf and I have no idea who he is. So. I guess that, that opens up a new, what do you think of cameo? I mean, that, that's a relatively well, new uh, platform for fans to reach out to there's, and connect there's with celebrities. 25, 000, uh, celebrity celebrities, right? You know, I'm an actor. I never wanted to be a celebrity. I cringe when people call me a celebrity. I'm an actor. But there's 25,000 of us that are on there. So recently, CouchGuysports.com did an, uh, an evaluation of the best uh, values of the sports people on that site. And they did the, a list of the four best non-notables. It was the guy from the Soup Nazi from Seinfeld. <laughs> The voiceover guy from Grand Theft Auto, Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator, Bob Banks, Banks Refrigerator. <laughs> yes, the best value. You know, you get the song, you get the hat, you get the clothes, you get the, I'm doing it in character and I do it fast. You know, so. That's awesome. Thank you, thank you. And there's a movie coming out called Caged with uh, Eddie Gathigi as the guy we put into prison. It's with Melora Hardin from the uh, from the office, Jan. She's the bad cop. I'm the good cop in this. I mean, uh, so uh, that's pretty spooky stuff. And uh, 
So the reform really does work. What's that? I said, so the reform really does work. You went from psycho to good cop. (laughs) Yeah, no, I played plenty of good cops. I mean, you know, more good cops than bad cops, really. Uh, uh, It's, you know, it's the uniform. I used to, like I said, I wore that uniform around in the old city of Cannes. They all thought I was a stormtrooper, you know, and the old people would come out of their, 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 their homes and watch me, you know, in the black, in the boots, in the big boots, <laughs> walking down the street. Yeah, I mean, I was I was evoking some bad memories for him, I think. So fans could find you on Cameo. Where else can uh, fans keep up with you? Uh, on Facebook. On, on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, Robert, Robert Richet. Wait, but I don't have any room for any new fans, so uh, <laughs> sorry. It's full up. Instagram, too. Bobby Ray Schaefer. So Instagram and Cameo. And, and and watch my movie, Dick Dixter. I mean, for God's sakes, rent that movie. It's on Amazon Prime. And I'm playing a drunk director in Hollywood. With, I mean, the, the cast of women in this is, yeah, that's all I have to say. I mean, I cast that movie, so. I, say, I, I haven't seen that one talent. yet. Um, I have an eye for talent. Let me just say that, buddy. <laughs> I see. I, I haven't seen that one yet. Why don't you tell everyone about it? Oh, Dick Dixter? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, you know, I love this movie called The Stuntman with Peter O'Toole as this autocratic director. Well, as time went on, I, I developed Dick Dixter. It really had to do with, uh, I did this uh, commercial with, uh, what's his name, uh, the director from the Silver Linings Playbook. Um, anyway, he's an autocratic director, and so this was born. The conceit of it is that this guy has to remake his only hit horror film as a porno film. So world when worlds collide, you know, <laughs> and he's drunk the whole movie. The Jim Beam never leaves his head. He's drunk the whole damn movie. And the reason he's drunk is because then you can be uh, more rude, more aggressive, and people will forgive you, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's homophobic. He's misogynistic. Uh, he, he's racist. He, he does it all. I mean, he's a bad, bad boy. And, uh, you know, that's how I that's how I roll. I don't play PC comedy games with anybody. Everybody's fair game, and this guy has no favorites. He, if you cross his path, chances are he's an aggressive, rude bastard, and he's going to have a fight with you. I mean, he's in a fight in every scene in the movie. Basically, he gets kicked in the nuts six or seven times. I mean, it's beautiful stuff. Kids will love it. That's <laughs> family great. film. I'm going to have to check it's that out. Funny. I, it's funny. I mean, I got uh, uh, Tim Russ from uh, the Star Trek Voyager series playing uh, – Sammy Davis Jr., that's his manager. <laughs> you know, uh, Jan Broberg, who uh, actually had the big hit on Netflix last year, The uh, Stolen Innocence, uh, she's my leading lady. She plays Coco Hart, the porn producer. The, the girls in this movie are just spectacular. I mean, it was so much fun to make. My cousin shot it. Uh, was a crew from, um, what's the name of that outfit? Anyway, they were fast. I had three cameras. I mean, it was fast. We shot it in, you know, quick, 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 quick. And so it's really a stylish little uh, homage to uh, Hollywood. It's my love letter to Hollywood, sir. <laughs> well, we'll have to have you back on to talk about that. Absolutely. Watch it, screen it, call me back. And listeners, you know where to find him. You can find the links to everything we just talked about in the episode description. You can find me at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. 
Robert, it was great chatting with you today. Thank you. Congratulations on your one-year anniversary. Now knock dead next year. Thank you. And until next time, listeners, mash on. Awesome, bud. Thank you. 90, 91. <laughs>